This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Dervla McTiernan, welcome back to Better Reading. Thank you very much for having me. Ah, pleasure. I am so excited. You know I've got a bit of a girl crush on you, don't you? <laughs> I said it last night. Well, I may have seen that on the book club just a little bit, but it's, it's you know, it's reciprocated, so uh, it's all it? good. Yeah, good, good. Do you know, I don't know what it is that I love about you. I mean, of course I love the work. <laughs> And I don't even know you. Yeah, and I don't even know you that well. But I just feel that you've got just a fantastic energy. You really do. Yeah, yeah. And I think it even comes out on the podcast. So this is our second conversation. We had one about a year ago. Yes, it's been one of the most popular podcasts. Really? Okay. Oh my god! How am I going to live up to that? You see, this is the problem. It was so good the first time. How do you match it the second time? I think you're going to match it easily. (laughs) I think. um, I think it was. I often say the podcasts work when the author gives away better themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. when it's not just promo and yeah. telling everybody what they want to hear. So, yeah. And I think that that works for you because I think that there is, you know, that you are genuine. Oh, thanks, Cheryl. I know, Cheryl. I know you're not on social media, but if you were, you'd be terrific at Oh, it. stop. I'm learning. <laughs> I've been getting Instagram uh, tips all week. Alice has been teaching me how to use Instagram. So I'm up to four posts. It's very exciting. Oh, I did my is... first story last night. <laughs> that is very exciting. We'll make sure we post something and ask people to like your page. How many oh, likes have you. you got? I don't have any idea. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't quite figured no, out how to figure that right. out. We'll sort that out for Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Dervler, as most of you will know, is one of the most exciting crime writers working today. She began her career as a lawyer, but following the global financial crisis, moved to Australia with her young family and turned her hand to writing. An avid fan of crime and detective novels since childhood, Dervler wrote a short story, The Roommate, which was shortlisted for the Sisters in Crime Scarlet Stiletto competition. That's a mouthful. (laughs) And in 2018, she published her debut novel, The Ruin. Critically acclaimed and already optioned for television, The Ruin is set in Ireland and follows Detective Cormac Riley as he works to solve a chilling case that confounded him at the start of his career. Following on from The Ruin's smash hit is Dervla's new book, and she's here today to talk about that, and it's called The Scholar. And wow, wow, that's just made it to the bestseller list as well. Yes, it has. So exciting. So you just are just the out. best all of the time. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> How many weeks has, has The Scholar been out? How many weeks has The Scholar been out? The Scholar has been out 
Monday of last week. Yeah. So last week was his first week, I guess. Yeah. This wow. is the second week. So congratulations. Thank you. It doesn't happen that yes, often. Yes, we got the email this morning. Yeah. So I want to talk to you um, just about um, how how it is you came to writing. And I know you've talked to us before, but it is an unusual path. So yeah. go through that with me again. About how I came to writing. Yes, I love that story. Oh, gosh. It was, I mean, I suppose I always... Writing for me was always the best and most amazing thing anybody could do, but I never thought it was a realistic option for me. I never thought I could ever do that. And if I had gone to my parents at 17 and said, I wanted to study English to become a writer, they would have had heart attacks. You know, they would have been worried about me paying my bills. So law was the, um, was the direction I went in. I started college and I remember the very first day at college hanging out with the other students in corporate law. We went for a few drinks and everybody started dropping the names of judges, oh. high court judges. And I thought, oh my God, I'm in the wrong place. This is not <laughs> the place for me. But I still did a four-year law degree, two years in law school, a three-year apprenticeship and practiced for 12 years. So you can see I was a real rebel, not. But we came to Australia. This is making a short story long. But anyway, we came to Australia and... um I knew I wanted to write. It took me a while to get going. But in 2014, I finally said, this is it. I want to be a writer. This is the thing. If I don't try, I'm always going to regret it. So I am going to take it as seriously as I would any other career change. I'm going to give it five years. I'm going to write every single night except Thursday, which was the sacrosanct wine night with Kenny. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's your kids' night. No, no, no. (laughs) It's it's, it's all about the wine and the laughs. So other than that, I wrote every night, an hour and a half to two hours, and I said I would give it five years where I would be really committed. And if at the end of the five years there was just no even inkling of future publication, I would reassess. But otherwise, I was going to give it the five years. And that was 2014. And I signed my contract with HarperCollins in October 2016. Yeah, wow. Wow, that doesn't happen that often. No, I was very lucky. And it doesn't happen that often that that authors um, make a decent living no, a, out of writing. I, I mean, know. often they're juggling two or three jobs. Absolutely. As well as writing. Okay, so talk to me about the process of the publication of The Ruin. Um, uh, well, when you actually sold it and what happened with your health? Ah, well, mm. it was all a bit dramatic, I have to tell you. Um, it, it I, was... I, I gather you don't do things by heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes I look back at some of this stuff and I think, what was I thinking? But... It was July 2016. I had um, not sent the book to any agents except one because one night when I'd been procrastinating ages before I had entered this, one of these Twitter pitch competitions and yes. the agent had liked it. So I had sent her my first 50 pages and forgotten about it. Anyway, it was a July morning. Um, it was a Friday and we were supposed to be heading down south, southwest WA for a weekend with friends. But I had a GP appointment to pick up some test results and I really wasn't expecting anything major. I went along to the doctor and she wasn't my usual GP and she just, she was nervous and I could see that straight away. And she just said, Dervil, you have a brain tumor and it's, you know, it's a very significant size and it needs to come out straight away. You need to have surgery. And I just thought, okay. Okay. Um, And And so what had you gone to the doctor for? Headaches, really. I've been having headaches and they've been getting more constant and kind of more intense and I would wake up with them and Kenny had been saying for months you know this isn't normal that you wake up with a headache every day you need to go to see the doctor but I had young children who didn't sleep very well and I was working and every mother wakes up with a headache as far as I could see so I I just dismissed it and really the only reason I went was just so Kenny would be happy that I'd gone and when I look back I just think you're so stupid because 
when I had the, the scan, the MRI, the technician said to me afterwards, um, when are you going back to see your doctor? And I was like, oh, I've got an appointment, you know, whenever, like in a few weeks. And he said, maybe you should make an earlier appointment. Yeah. And I said, why? Is there something? And he went, no, 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 just, you know, because they don't, they can't tell you anything at that no. point. And I dismissed it. I just went, oh, I'm reading too much into that. And I, I just thought nothing of and it. And you didn't make an earlier appointment. I didn't. I just went along and just thought this yeah. is going to be fine. And, and, um, you know, she explained to me it could be this kind of tumor or that kind of tumor, but she felt very firmly that it was a thing called a craniopharyngioma, which is, is what it turned out to be. Um, and she said, it'll just keep growing and, you know, you'll go blind and then you'll lose this and you'll lose the other and the end result will be what the end result will be. Yeah. So, and then she took down her, her desk. And so reference. this is just at the appointment where you weren't expecting anything other than to get the test results back. I just thought. But she told be. you all of that at that she appointment. She told me, but it was very quick. It was, I, I honestly think it was maybe three minutes long. It was just, you know, this is what will happen and this is why you need to have surgery and it has to happen. Like you have to have surgery now. And how was, do you digest that? I didn't take her seriously, in all no. honesty, because it was, to me, such a bizarre way of giving that sort of yeah. information. And and because she sent me out with just the, the surgeon's names, because in Ireland that would never happen. You know, the GP would make the appointment for you. They would recommend they talk to you about surgeons and choices. I've since found out that that would usually be the way it's dealt yes. with in Australia yeah. as well. And it was just, to me, so weird, so I think I was in denial, and I think the fact that the news was given in that way helped me in that denial. I just thought, this is, this can't be right. And when I went home to tell Kenny, I, I went with that in mind, and I, and he was very upset, and I said, no, 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 no. Look, if you were in the appointment, you would know that this is just silly. And I said, <laughs> I, I've had the master to send me the, the radiographer's report, and I've, I've emailed it on to Aving, my sister in Ireland, who is a GP. Of course, this was like eight o'clock in the morning, so Ave was asleep. And I said, let's go down to Dunsford anyway. And by the time we get there, Ave will be awake. She'll ring us and she'll tell us the real deal. Yeah. So we headed off to Dunsford that day. And, you know, we got to Clancy's fish bar and we had our dog with us and the kids. And so Kenny was in keeping the kids distracted. I was walking around the green area of Clancy's fish bar with my <laughs> retriever on the lead. Um, and Avian was telling me, yeah, this is really not good. And this is exactly what's going to happen next. And these are the risks. And poor So this Avian, is your sister? My, my younger sister. She gets all of these calls yeah. from every family member. Oh, yeah. And she has to be really stoic, you know. Mm. And she was so great. So that, that was a bit of a shocker. And yeah. the whole weekend was weird then, you know, because you're just trying to take this in. And, of course, we could do very little because it's Friday and you're frantically trying to get through to surgeons to make appointments. And you're not going to get any more information over the weekend except you're going around with this thing in your head. You yeah. Know? Very, yeah. very strange time. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and then what was ha- happening parallel to that with your book? Well, literally at the same time, when, when I left the GP office and I went out to the car, at while I was thinking about which surgeon to try to call, I got my email from this agent I'd sent the 50 pages to saying that she really liked them and would I send her the full manuscript, which was the first contact I'd had with any agent. Yes. And was just like, what? You know, yeah. how is this possible? And I was more excited by that than I was upset by the tumor news, yeah. which is stupid, but I think... I think is part of that denial thing. I think is part of, you know. Well, and I think it's also a part of who we are as humans. It's about survival. And it is about, I mean, you know, you stri- strike me as a half glass full person Definitely. rather than empty. So you're going to take the, the happier Positives. option. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. 
yeah. without a doubt, I would have as well. I think you, we just we we, we almost slept walked. What is the past tense of sleepwalk through those few weeks? Yes. Uh, the first surgeon we saw said he couldn't do the surgery unless he did a full craniotomy, and I would almost certainly lose my sight and potentially have brain damage. And the alternative was kind of to wait and see. But everybody up to then had just told me if you don't have surgery, ultimately you will. Yeah. You know. So I was like, that's an option. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the worst bit, the f- about five days between that appointment and what happened next, because he did say at the end of that appointment, well, I have this other colleague and he has this new way of doing the surgery and he might be able to, he may be able to sort you out. He may be willing to do the surgery. And then two days later, I got a phone call from that surgeon's, um, secretary saying, Dr. Lewis would like to see you on Friday. And I said, well, does that mean that he would like to do the surgery? And she said, well, I don't know. But then I went in to see him and he was unbelievable. I'll never forget it. He was funny and he was um, clever and he, he just said, not a problem, not a problem. Oh, this is how we'll do it. Brian Schumer, Brian, oh, easy. Standards. Yeah. And his brother was the ear, nose and throat surgeon. So he did that side of it and, and that was it. And yeah. I had another about two weeks after that. And I just spent every day sending the book off to agents and it was the best possible distraction. I just yeah. wanted to know, because I didn't know what was going to happen really in the surgery. And I wanted to know I had done everything and maybe I I didn't know. It just felt yeah. like a, a hopeful thing to do. Mm, absolutely. Hopeful, distracting. And also, I always need a project. Yes. I mean, yours was a big project and I probably wouldn't take that on. But I do need, in life, I always need a project. Completely snap. Is that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've recovered. You're yes. well now. Yes, I am. Are you really well? I am very well. I have, um, what they call pan hypopituitarism. All of these names are very long. Basically means my pituitary doesn't work, which means my adrenal gland doesn't work, which means my thyroid doesn't work because it, uh-huh. it controls all of these different right. things. So I am propped up on a cocktail of fake hormones that make my body function. Right. And they do it very well. So yeah. most of the time I feel because very well. Because you, you, I mean, I know that you've, I see you when you're well, or, yeah. but you know, I saw you at a party the other yeah. night and you were just glowing <laughs> and I thought, well, she's doing okay. I, I do really well. Occasionally I hit a wall and it can. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Be unexpected, and I just have to go to bed. Yes, and I definitely. But I occasionally. Hit a we wall. all do, right? And I have to go to bed. Sometimes I just think it's a really nice excuse. Like the the, yes. the, the endocrinologist said to me, you know, you can't do intense exercise, Dervla. And I thought, oh, that's oh, very thank sad. You. <laughs> 
Oh, thank you. Exactly. Do you think he'd write me something like that? He might. He's very nice. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about having a prescription for getting waking up at six and going. I don't have to go for a run today. In fact, I can't go. Oh, poor me. I can't go for a run. Poor me. Yeah. Oh well. Bummer. (laughs) Pity. I'll just have a cup of tea and read a book. Yeah. Instead. Yeah. Oh, see, there you go. They're the positives. Okay. So you had. You put well, so the real one was published in that time yes. to great acclaim, great success. Yeah, yeah. I, ca- you know, I mean, the uh, I can't tell you how much the readers have loved it, oh, and and you so know lovely. that because it's gone to the bestseller list. Uh, it's been highly successful. I don't know how many copies you've sold, but there's been a squillion. <laughs> so I think that's a difficult task to follow up. I mean, I I think sometimes I don't know what's worse. Not that I'm a writer, but I don't know what's worse to follow a flop. Or to follow a success. Oh, my God. What do you think? I think in publishing, the hardest thing is to follow a book that hasn't done well because everybody's data-driven these days and people look at your last numbers and they're maybe less... It has to be a spectacular book to get a second Okay. So let's look at, say, Dan Brown and following up on the Da Vinci Code. I mean, that's almost impossible, isn't it? Well, I think for those absolutely massive smash hits, like the absolute world beaters... Pretty much everybody knows it's going to be almost impossible to meet, to match that. And I don't think, I don't think that, I think that expectation isn't on you, but I think people know that you're going to have very big numbers after that. You know, you're going to have a significant portion of people who like that book will go and buy the next one. And someone like Dan Brown, like he's just a marquee name. Yeah. You know, there will always be people who are chasing to buy his next book. But, you know, somebody like Dervla McTiernan, how do you follow up from the ruin? Seriously, I mean that. Oh, Hand on my heart, I do. I I was really lucky because I... HarperCollins gave me a lot of time. Like I signed the contract in October 2016 and... the Ruin didn't come out till February 2018. So I had basic almost 18 months yeah. where I was quietly writing at home and nobody knew or cared. You know, mm. I mean, my editor was obviously expecting that I would deliver a manuscript at some point. But other than that, I hadn't, I didn't have any reviews in my head. I didn't have anything. So it's just writing for myself, really, mm. uh, trying to write the story I wanted to write. And so bef- that I had handed in the manuscript for The Scholar before The Ruin was published. So I never ah. had that pressure that a lot of writers are Okay, facing. I didn't know that. Yeah. So tell me about that story. Well, that was just, it was just having that extra time. So you signed a book, two book deal. I signed a two book deal. And right. then I had written the scholar because, because of the long lead time. Um, HarperCollins wanted that long lead time to come in, coming into the room. Obviously the room needed editing as well. So I was yeah. editing at the same time, writing the scholar. And I had 40,000, but even before I met, um, HarperCollins, I had 40,000 words of the scholar written because as soon as I finished the ruin and I started to, you know, move on, I started writing the next book, next book, next book. Right, okay. So, or maybe it was 20,000. 40,000 sounds like a lot. It might have been more 20,000. See, I think that's a better way to do it then. I wonder if that's strategic on behalf of the publisher or editor that you write your second book before the first book's out because well, that takes the pressure off in I a way, doesn't it? I think it's a fabulous way to do it because now I'm, I've just delivered the manuscript for the third book before this, just as the scholar is published. I mean, you Oh, ahead, wow. Which means that you must be a dream writer. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I don't can know. you do no wrong? Oh, I'm perfect <laughs> in every way. Believe me, I can do wrong. Believe me. Um, if Kenny were here and the children, they could give you chapter and verse. But anyway, <laughs> I I love writing. I just love writing. Yeah, and well, I love. Stories. It's amazing that you started this late. Were you just repressing it before? Yeah, I think I couldn't believe in myself as a writer. And yeah. I just, and I think leaving Ireland had a lot to do with opening up to that. And I think the fact that we, we just 
messed up so badly. We, we left Ireland financially. We, we had been through the ringer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, we had, Kenny and I were the kind of people who did everything according to the rules. You mm. know, I was a lawyer. He was a civil engineer. We mm. bought a family home. We were very responsible, you know. But we weren't, I certainly wasn't pursuing what I really wanted to do, what I really loved. And when things went wrong, when the GFC hit, and financially we were very badly affected by that, we came to Australia and we just said, you know, we did everything by the rules and now it's our turn. Now we get to do it our way. Mm. And writing was always part of that. And I think I felt that it would be, I don't know, selfish or indulgent to try to write before then, that mm. I had to be a grown-up. Mm. You know, you had a family to raise. I had a family to raise, had bills to pay. Yeah. And, and obviously I was still working when I was writing. I was working part-time, but I gave myself that. We gave that to ourselves yeah. to take this Do chance. Do you know, I mean, there's a lot of people who, and there would have been a lot of people who were affected by the GFC mm. in Ireland, who didn't make those changes and who fell back into the cycle all over again. Well, but we were lucky too, Cheryl, because... It's not luck to oh, luck. It's know. making decisions. I think about people, though, in Ireland who didn't get, say, for example, even getting a visa to Australia. Mm. We got that because Kenny's a civil engineer and there was a high demand for civil engineering work at the time. There were loads of people in Ireland who would have loved to have come to Australia and had a second chance, but they didn't have the right skills or the mm. right qualifications to be able to do that. Mm. So we were given great opportunities mm. that other people didn't and a get. Lot, yeah, and, and, and I absolutely agree with that. I don't think everybody has the same opportunity, but there are people that do have the same opportunities and just don't take out. I mean, people mm. say that to me often, oh, you're so lucky. Oh, no. Not yeah, luck. It's, it's not luck. It's, it's yeah, yes, you I work have, hard, for yeah. sure. There's hard work involved. And what you said earlier about needing a project too, it's about yeah. mindset. I mean, I it am is. frantically looking for the next project if I finish one. And, yes. And I feel that's right. And we're motivated by yeah. it as well. Yeah, it really very motivates motivated. me. I want to talk to you, and this is a, a, a bit serious, and I know we didn't speak about this the last podcast, but I look at people like you and I think how, what a valuable citizen you are to Australia and how fabulous it is to have you and your family here. But I wonder what you think about this country. And I want to talk politics a little bit, just in terms of humanity and Mm. the way we treat people. Is it different to what it was in Ireland? Is it a global problem? I think it's a global problem. I think Ireland is maybe perhaps more open because we have been a member of the European Union for a long time. I mean, I grew up in in a very white Ireland in a monoculture society. That's the way it was when Mm. I was a child. Ireland is a very different place now. It is a much more multicultural country. And how have they adjusted to that? It's, it, it depends on where you are. There are pockets of Ireland where it's been massively successful. And, you know, that you've had an influx of people into particularly, say, rural areas or smaller towns where there's been a desperate need for new blood and youth and energy. And I'm thinking of, I think, Gort in particular in Ireland, which has had a, a whole new population and everybody embraces each other and embraces change you know and the new culture that comes in is embraced and celebrated Mm. it's not Mm. like that's extinguished in any way but then there are pockets of ireland where i'm sure people are experiencing racism and Mm. and and um and terrible experiences so it's 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 not an example to be held up but i think that there are things that are done well Mm. you know and what has been the main difference i mean what are the things you love about living in western australia i won't say australia because wa is so different the west coast is different to the east coast but what is it that you have found here i think it's it's about the kids you know um 
the children, we, we're experiencing Australia through their eyes in a way. You know, they're Australian children. Ush was born here. Freya was two when we came. And they have Australian accents and Australian friends and they go to an Australian school and they do Australian things. Our Australian friends, I mean, we've made some wonderful friends now through the school, really, other parents, mm. and they've been so embracing of us. We've, we've, we've kind of had the opportunity to exper experience some Australian, typically Australian experiences through them. Like when we went camping for Australia Day weekend a few years ago, it was 42 degrees. We were putting the tent up <laughs> and we were like, okay, we get to skip the citizenship ceremony. And this, this is, we should just be like, there should be a rubber yes. stamping once yeah, you've done Yeah, that's right. You've done that. Yeah. But we, I think we just love the lifestyle. We love the fact that it's outdoors. We love the, that's the big thing. It's physically active and it's outdoors and, and this is a big sky and it's beautiful it's a big light. Sky. It's beautiful. And I'll tell you something else that definitely had a real impact on us. And not to harp back to the whole tumor thing again, but when I was sick and we were so far from home, yeah. one of the mums in school organized one of these rota things amongst yeah. all the other mums. And for about four weeks, people came to our house and somebody set up an esky at the front gate. Yeah. People came to our house and they filled it with food, desserts and dinners and lovely things. Anonymously, like they didn't want to knock on the door. They wanted to just be left there at the thing. People I knew very well, people I didn't know at all. And I love Ireland. I'm proud to be Irish, but I've never heard of that happening in that way in Ireland. Mm. And we felt... And I think that really changed everything for us. It opened us another bit. Mm. It's community, it's isn't community. it? It's community. Maybe it's mateship. Maybe it's something like that. I'm going to get emotional. Now, but <laughs> You're making me emotional. <laughs> but it was, it was a really special thing. And I think when you're a little bit older, you realize that those sorts of special things actually don't happen that often. Mm. And true friendship, opportunity for true friendship doesn't come along that often and when it does you better be grateful you've got it mm. and we are we're just we feel so lucky mm. more than anything else we feel so lucky to have living the life that we're living now well i feel really lucky that you're here do you oh, know i think i often call you australian just because you've been published here and i said <laughs> we've got great australian writers like Dervla McTiernan, and then i, I remember i'm australian now <laughs> officially oh, yeah, so i can say that <laughs> yep. you know australians do that a lot we claim new zealanders we, we anybody that lives here for more than a year is an, is an australian okay so tell me about the scholar Oh, the scholar. The scholar is one so of these it's books. a continuation, but it's standalone. Yes, it is, and it's one of these books. that's so hard to talk about without giving away the entire okay. the entire story. Don't do that. But I have a little I have a little summary. Okay, go on. So the sto story starts with Dr. Emma Sweeney. She yes. is this very accomplished um, research scientist, very driven by her work, and she's going into work. Her lab is located in on the campus of a university, my old university, actually. She goes into work one evening to pick up some lab results, and she stumbles across the body of a young woman who has been the victim of a hit and run and it's a it's an awful scene and she's absolutely distraught so she calls her partner who just happens to be Cormac Riley he's a detective right. sergeant in the police force so understandably enough he comes running and he ends up taking the case which is probably a little bit on shaky ground given that it was his partner who found the body in the first place the young woman is identified as Carlene Darcy, the granddaughter of this extremely wealthy, very powerful family. And they are involved in everything, politics, you name it. They also just so happen to have funded Emma's research. So Cormac is running this investigation under a lot of pressure. Um, and then he starts to come across little bits of pieces of evidence that suggest that maybe Emma's discovery of the body isn't as innocent as it initially seems. So... 
that is the story of the scholar. And if I tell you anything more, no, I will ruin tell, it. Don't tell me anything more. <laughs> but it is standalone. So if you've read The Ruin and you've loved it. Um, yes, you, you can. Definitely. And if you haven't, you can start with a scholar and you yes, can go backwards. Absolutely. Dervla McTiernan, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I feel like I've just had therapy. <laughs> <laughs> that was so wonderful. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play, or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.